This episode of Get In The Game podcast is presented by the Sports Spectrum Magazine. Stories and articles on the intersection of sports and faith that you won't find anywhere else. I love this magazine, and I highly recommend you all subscribe and get your copy today. We keep our subscriptions affordable for everyone, and it makes a great gift, particularly for the kids. Subscribe today at sportspectrum.com and click the magazine icon at the top of the page. Get your subscription now at sportspectrum.com. You won't regret it. Hello, welcome to Get in the Game Podcast with your host, Scott Langer, former MLB star and current water mission advocate. Oh yeah, and he also happens to be our dad. So let's dive right in. Hey everybody, I'm Scott Linebrink, and welcome back to another round of Get In The Game, where we talk about faith and action, what it means to serve others, and I'm just always blessed by some great guests that come on our show, get to tell stories about what serving looks like in their life. And you've heard from a lot of baseball players, you've heard from some military guys, even a country western singer, but we have never had a major league umpire on our show, but today we do. Ted Barrett, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Scott. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be on. I'm honored you're I'm your first umpire. You are. And uh yeah, I guess I gotta say you're my favorite umpire because otherwise I would have asked another umpire to be on the show. <laughs> that's right. Or I was I'm I'm your favorite umpire that's available. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ted, I want to introduce you here to our audience. Um, you first broke into the big leagues back in nineteen ninety-four. You just retired last year, so you had a thirty year run as an umpire my entire career in the big leagues. Um, I would see you in uh, various places. Of course, I don't know if people know how it works, but you get different crews in different places, but you usually cross paths multiple times throughout the year. Um, and I got to know you, um, you know, you being a, a Christian brother and, and, um, uh, you know, just hearing your reputation around the league was always, um, one of, of, you know, one of the, the more objective guys and, and, um, and just a, a solid dude, um, you started a, a career in boxing. You had actually a, an amateur boxing career. Um, you also have a doctorate in theology, which I just learned when I was doing research for this show. Um, and now you're retired and you're in ministry. You're working with UPI, an, an organization that I have been involved with that uh, has discipleship ministries and takes people on trip around the world and um, I'm just it's quite a resume. I'm just really impressed with with all of the things that you've done. Uh, I appreciate that. I think, uh, you know, sometimes I feel like Forrest Gump with, with all the things that I've been able to do and uh, games I've been able to be a part of and different things in my life that have happened. So, yeah, it's been fun. It's been a wild ride. And now transitioning out of being on the field into uh, full time ministry. And it's exciting. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah. So I have so many stories that uh, that I would love to just pick your brain about or ask you to tell stories. And maybe we'll just start with a couple of stories. But um, um, well, first, let me ask you this. As an umpire, I mean, you obviously have to be objective and, you know, you get guys on the mound like me that you really like and you want to help out. Um, but you, you got to call a strike a strike and a ball a ball. So w what is that like to maintain objectivity but also having relationships with guys that that you see and know. How do you how do you do that? Yeah, that that I struggled with that. Uh, you know, when I first came up, of course, I was the new guy, the new umpire, 
And so I really didn't know too many guys on the field other than maybe someone that I'd come to the minor leagues with. Uh, but I always tried to, you know, like you said, be objective. You want to call a strike a strike, a ball a ball, regardless of any relationship you have with someone. Um, and so I really had to almost treat it like a video game in the sense that take the personalities out of it, um, you know, just concentrate on the call. Uh, but that did get to be a challenge, especially as I got to know players more. You know, I always um, feel like I treated guys with respect and I got respect back. So I always tell young umpires, you know, you, when it comes to respect, you get what you give. Um, and, and, and so it would be tough sometimes to see a guy struggle, someone that I knew and I knew they were, you know, out there grinding. Um, or I see a guy that was doing really well, you know, and uh, you want to see him continue to do that. But I really had to just block that out and say, I don't know this guy. I don't know this guy. I'm just going to call a strike, a strike, a ball, a ball. And then, of course, you know, safe and out. Uh, when replay came in, that was, uh, you know, took away the objectivity of it because I just wanted to get it right. I didn't want to get overturned out there. So uh, that took the personalities out of it. But, yeah. And so what happens is you see umpires not want to develop relationships with players because they don't want to have to uh, fight that tension of of uh, being friends with a guy and then have to turn around and call him on a call him out on a three two slider that he's not going to like. Well, I, I know you probably had uh, your fair share of uh, tense interactions with people, too. And, you know, you, you did always portray that uh, attitude of calm and like everything was in control. Um, but I know from, you know, around the player, the, around the league, you know, it was well known that you were a boxer. And so we were like, man, don't mess with Teddy. Teddy, Teddy will punch you out. But <laughs> of course you wouldn't have done that. But, uh, but yeah, you kind of had that aura, um, that I think all of us had a, a healthy dose of fear. <laughs> well, you know, in my younger days, uh, you know, I got in, I was 23 years old when I got into rookie ball and went to the Northwest league. And then I got into the Cal league. I was 24, 25, still fighting you know, still boxing. Um, and I didn't like when I didn't handle it really well when people disagreed with me mm. and I would, I would threaten people physically. I would, uh, you know, I was not, it's funny looking back at this, you know, 30 years later. Um, and I tell my grandkids the stories and it's hard for them to believe because I'm just grandpa. Right. And, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, I remember, uh, calling players and player argue with me. I told I know where hotel you're at and I'm going to come find you. <laughs> and I remember Bruce Bochy was managing in, uh, in Riverside in the Cal League, and he, he, he came over to the locker room one day. He's like, he's like, Ted, you're a good umpire. You ain't going anywhere. If you don't, you can't walk around threatening players. And Chris Bando, when CV, was managing Stockton, and I threatened one of his players. And he said, you know, I, I can make one phone call and get you fired right now. He said, but I think, I think uh, you're worth salvaging. You got to get your temper under control. And um, yeah, Mario Mendoza in Palm Springs, he, he said, man, you were gonna you gotta watch your blood pressure You know, my face would turn red and I'd get mad. And so, uh, you know, and then fast forward to the big leagues and, you know, I, I, yeah, like you said, I was probably one of the more calm guys, um, reasonable. And, you know, I felt like I found some peace, mm. you know, became comfortable in my own skin when guys challenged me, you know, I, I, I handled it a lot better. Um, and maybe, you know, with wisdom, some gray hair, you get a little wiser, and you figure out that maybe there's more than one ways to skin a cat. And then maybe by uh, trying to be reasonable and nice, you might get the same results that you're looking for. 
Teddy, you brought up peace, and um, immediately this verse came to mind. And I don't know, I, I know it's in Colossians, I don't know exactly where, but I remember in a Bible study a long time ago, and the verse is, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And I remember yeah. somebody explaining that is, that's like an umpire calling safe or out. It's one or the other, it's black or white. And so, you know, basically the the call was to go about our day and allow Christ to rule in our hearts so that when we were confronted with a decision or an opportunity, we let the word of God call, do I do this or not? Yes or no? Safe or out? Um, yeah. And, and that's kind of the position that you held. So I'd, I'd love to ask you as a theologian and an umpire to yeah. kind of give us your take on that verse. Yeah, that, that's kind of my life verse. Really? And, you know, you start yeah, putting on the theologian hat. You know, that is the Greek word is where we get the term umpire. And uh, so, yeah, but that's it. Let, let the peace of the Lord be the umpire in your heart. You know, it's, and I always talked about what if Jesus were an umpire? I mean, I think he'd be the ultimate umpire. Yeah. You still have guys arguing with him, but, you know, and he would, he would, he, he didn't make a mistake. Uh, but, um, you know, just his attitude, the way he would handle, the way he handled conflict, mm -hmm. uh, the way he dealt with the Pharisees, um, the way he loved on people. I mean, I think he would have been a heck of an umpire. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, so that's, you know, that's how I tried to emulate everything, reading in scripture, what Jesus was like. That's the way I tried to be on the field. And man, I felt far short, but uh, it was a pretty good. And, and one one uh, comment that I constantly got, like you mentioned, and I appreciate you saying the nice things, but, um, you know, people would say when you walk into a situation, whether it be a brawl or an argument or an ejection, they said, it's like everybody calms down. Hmm. I'm like, that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit bringing peace into. Yeah. It's what he does. He takes uh, chaos and turns it to order. And I felt like that was, you know, uh, God had given me the ability to do that. That was one of my strengths. Um, or to walk into a situation where people were real angry and diffuse it um, so we can get the game going again. Yeah. Uh, David Roth, last year we opened in Chicago at Wrigley. And there was a throwing situation. And Lance Barksdale was working the plate, and he he uh, we got together and decided to throw out the pitcher for throwing it at the batter. And David Ross came out and he started yelling and screaming, and my guy wouldn't throw at him, and you know you guys are wrong. And then he finally looked at me, he goes, "I can't even lie to you." He threw at him, <laughs> he turned around and left. <laughs> and the next day he came out to the home plate with the lineup cards. He's like, "Dang it, Ted, I can't even lie to you. I can't even pretend that he." <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah. So just because yeah. of your reputation, uh, people knew that you were a man of integrity and you wouldn't make something up. Yeah. And I, and I, uh, I appreciated that with him. And, and at the, he said something nice after I retired, he said, you know, we always knew when you walked on the field mm. that everything was going to be okay. You know, and I wasn't the greatest umpire. I wasn't you know, the greatest at calling balls and strikes and safes and outs. And, but, uh, I felt, like I said, the players all, uh, commented that uh, when when I walked out there, they knew they'd get a fair game and um, things would be under control. So yeah, uh, that was a tremendous compliment, and I, I really i I think that's uh, one of the one of the nicest things that people can say about my career. Well, I'll put you right up there with uh, one of your colleagues, uh, an umpire that I respected deeply, Tim McClellan. And uh, I'll tell a quick story on Tim. Um, I believe it was in a spring training game, and I remember being out there and. Um, threw a pitch like down and away, just painted it. And it's like, you know, a strike as a pitcher, you're like, man, that's, uh, I can't make a pitch better than that. And, uh, he <laughs> waved it off as a ball. And I'm just kind of like, you know, can't believe that he, he didn't call it. Cause you know, Tim, 
he balls and strikes, man. That was his, uh, his bread and butter. And, uh, and I remember yeah. he came out, something happened, a foul ball or something. He walked out to the mound to give me another one. And he goes, Hey, Scott, I just want you to know I missed that one. I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I couldn't even say anything. Cause it's like, he came out there and admitted it, but I thought, wow, you know, what a, a man of integrity to, to walk out, to make a point to say, Hey, I missed it. And, you know, we, we put you guys in a category often where it's like, you're not allowed to make a mistake. You got to be perfect. And I think in that moment, you know, Tim just coming out there and admitting, Hey, I'm a human too. I make mistakes just like you. Um, it just, uh, it really, you know, made his, my opinion of him go up even more. Yeah. And you know, Tim was, I learned so much from him working with him and those are the type of things. So sometimes you got to be honest with yourself, you know, you have to own up to your mistakes and, and especially in spring training, because what people don't realize is, you know, we don't have we don't have the ability to go in the backyard and have someone throw, you know, pitches on the black in '98. And there's just there's no way to practice to get ready for a major league baseball game uh, working behind the plate. Spring training is the way we have to get dialed in, and uh, you know, all of us are just not very good in spring training. We're good, but you know, the hope is by opening day. You're, you've got everything locked in. You've knocked the rust off. You're ready to go. But you can't just roll out of bed and go work a major league baseball game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to get some repetitions and see some pitches before things get started. As you watch the WBC, that was I worked three of those, and those were always tough because you're not locked in yet. Um, but you know now, the, and that's the way things have changed. Even April, uh, thirty years ago, you'd show up. You know, you kind of get through April and then May, you start getting into your groove and your rhythm. Now it's, hey, you show up, uh, there's an inter-squad B game on the backfields, and you got to be perfect. Here we go. So, um, yeah, there is no, there's no grace anymore uh, for, for um, you know, not getting pitches right. But it is a hard thing to do. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to ask you a couple of quick questions. That's just off the top of your head. Uh, and I'm going to take myself out of it because I want you to be objective. I don't want you to, you know, have favorites or anything. So myself excluded, who's the nastiest pitcher that you ever saw from behind the plate? Well, you come to mind first, but we take <laughs> you out of it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Pedro. Really? Because um, he had so many pitches that he threw well. And I just I couldn't imagine trying to hit, uh, you know, he's going to throw the fastball by you. He's going to throw a slider. He would um, at the chain. He would back pitches up on right handers. He back it up on left handers. So, you know, you get individual pitches like um, Mariano Rivera with his, you know, that cutter that would break bats. Uh, you got Randy Johnson who threw the fastball and then the slider. You know, you got guys would swing and the ball would hit him in the foot because it looked just like a fastball and then it drops off the table. So there's like guys with great pitches, but as far as like having all these different pitches that you weapons, it was Pedro. Mm, okay. Um, and then you talk. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I, well, I was going to ask now uh, best pure hitter and maybe you can go lefty righty. Okay. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go with Barry Bonds. Uh, and a lot of people, like with Wade Boggs, another one, Barry Bonds, and a lot of guys would say, oh, you don't call strikes on them. They've got tiny strike zones. The reality was Barry Bonds knew the strike zone as well as an umpire did. Absolutely. He did not go off the plate. He would mm-hmm. take walks. I think that made him a great hitter. 
And if you threw him one in the strike zone, especially that year, uh, he's going to hit it out of the ballpark. Yeah. You know, he was, he was so, he was just so strong and the bat looked like a toothpick in his hands and he was so fast with it. Mm. He was impressive. Um, Another guy that I loved watching hit was uh, was Guerrero of Vlad, uh, mm. Vladimir because, I mean, I saw him literally hit a pitch that bounced. And as an umpire, you know, when he came up, it's like, you can take this A-B off because he's swinging. <laughs> and, uh, he was up there hacking. But, I, you know, so I wouldn't call him. I'd say Boggs, uh, Barry Bonds, you know, um, great hitters. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., just a pure swing. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I guess with righties, uh, gosh, you caught me off guard here. But um, man, I got to, you know I came up in the American League, and as you know, that some of your listeners might not that we were just in the American League, and the National League guys were in the National League, and we came together in two thousand. So when we came together, it was kind of cool because then I could see a lot of the National League guys like Tony Gwynn um, and some others uh, that. You'll see in the National League teams that I didn't, Biggio, Bagwell, these guys that I'm glad I got to uh, do both leagues um, instead of just being in the American League. And the American League and National League, we used to sit around and argue who had the, the better teams and the better hitters and the better players. So I was always partial to the American League guys. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Favorite ballpark? Um, you know, I love being out on the field in Fenway. Uh, be just thinking about man, Babe Ruth played here. Um, all the you know, and I, I was a historian of umpires, I loved reading the stories about the old guys. And <clears throat> man, Bill, Bill Clem umpired here. Uh, you know, I loved the history of the game. So <clears throat> then going to Wrigley, also the history of the game. Um, I loved the old Detroit Stadium, uh, because I felt like I was going back in time. And and as you know, so much of it has to do with the locker room. Uh, the facilities. So like Detroit, the locker room was terrible, but being out on the field was great. Mm-hmm. Um, so now you talk about uh, Texas, uh, the Rangers, you know, the, that was where I made my debut. So that, that was always a fun place for me. You know, you're getting old now when they're building the new stadiums in the, in the city you debuted in this first year of the ballpark. Yeah. Uh, but our, but uh, our hoggy, our Richard Price, our clubhouse guy, I mean, it was, the food. There's nothing like Texas brisket, right? And That's uh, right. so when, when you talk about favorite stadiums, a lot of those factors start coming into yeah. play. What kind of food do they have? What was the clubhouse guy like? Um, so, and I, and I, this is, sounds like a, I'm trying to be a politician, but I really tried to find something good in every city um, mm. and every big league stadium. Um, there are no bad locker rooms. There are no bad clubhouse guys. There's a lot of minor league ones. Oh, yeah. But, uh, the long answer to your question is I love the old ballparks. I love the history. Now, having said that, the new ones like San Francisco, um, where the, you know, kind of the throwback ones, those are cool. Pittsburgh was a really beautiful ballpark to stand mm. on the field and look out over the bridges. So yeah. Yeah. A lot, as you know, a lot of cool ballparks all over the country. Well, what cool experiences you've had, you and I were chatting right before we hit record that um, you've been a part of three perfect games, two of them behind the plate. No other umpire has uh, can claim that. Um, World Series, All-Star Games, um, cool experiences for you. And now you're doing something that I I feel that God has perfectly equipped you to do. You've had this long career as an umpire. And now you're with UPI, one of the ministries in baseball, Unlimited Potential Incorporated. 
serving as a chaplain for umpires. How cool is that? Yeah, man, it's like it's a dream job. Uh, so about, you know, when I came to the big leagues, there really wasn't a lot of opportunity for us to practice our faith. You know, UPI was was going strong and baseball chapel, but and it was really geared toward the players, which it should be. You know, that's um, that's what they that's their DNA. As you know, the UPI is uh, they're all former ball players uh, ministering to players. And so I'm kind of the redheaded stepchild coming in as the umpire, but but I love it. Um, and, uh, there really was nothing for the umpires 20 years ago. You know, the chaplains would knock on the door trying to get in the umpire's room and there wasn't a whole lot of access. So uh, a couple other umpires and I decided to make our own, um, try to make an organization just for the umpires. And so we started out doing a retreat and we just had our 20th retreat this past year. Um, we do a prayer calls, the major league guys. Uh, one day a week, get on a prayer call. The minor league guys get on another day. Um, and so we just try to stay in community. We do discipleship calls, prayer calls. And so coming out with UPI now, they're allowing me to do that full time and coordinate that and get around and travel and see the guys and try to, uh, you know, give, give them some umpire advice. But more than that, to uh, to minister to them and see how, see how I can serve them and help them along on their journey. I love working with the young guys because they're bright eyed and it's all new to them. And, um, you know, we had a few of our guys just get hired full time into the big leagues. Once us old guys got out of the way, we had a few guys step up now and uh, a couple of them I uh, do weekly Bible studies with. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really, uh, really come full circle because the guys that pulled, poured into me when I was younger and now I can turn around and pour back into them. Tim McClone's one of them that you mentioned earlier. And, um, I think uh, I think that's what we owe the game. Um, take the things that we learned, take the mistakes we made, pass them on to the young guys so that they don't make the same ones. That's a great way to put it. Um, yeah, and Ted, you and I have had some opportunities uh, together at UPI events. Most recently, we were just at a uh, a retreat um, back in January. Um, and it's just a, a group of current and former players who get together. And you mentioned the relationship aspect. Uh, you know, you're such a relational guy and I too just really value those relationships. When, I, when people ask me what I miss about the game, that's the first thing that comes to mind is just the relationships. You know, you're with these guys day in, day out, you get to do fun stuff, you get to struggle together and it just, um, you know, the shared experience is just, um, really enrich the time together. But, um, but I love what you're doing. Um, I just want to encourage you in that. I, I know that there's a, a huge need for it. And and like you, I also was blessed by guys at UPI through the ministry, like Mickey Weston, like Brian Hommel, um, who just poured into me. And and I just love to see all of you guys still doing that, pouring back into the game. So way to go. Yeah. Um, Thank you. You bet. Um, so, yeah. Uh, just tell me a little bit about, you know, what um, what you see maybe the next five, ten years of your life. What, where would you like to go? What would you like to do? Well, yeah, I, I, in addition to being grandpa and getting out there and uh, watching some Little League games and basketball games and things like that, that's really important. Um, but as far as the game goes, um, just getting around, helping to develop these young umpires, watching them come along and, and you know, the thing about umpiring, there's not many jobs at the big league level. So a lot of the minor league guys get out. And it's cool to watch them transition into other things and 
and helping them along. We've got guys that have gone into full-time ministry. One guy's pastoring a church. Uh, another guy became a lawyer and does pro bono work. And so pouring into these young men, it's not just about making them umpires, but it's about uh, helping them in life become better dads, fathers, you know, uh, husbands. Um, so uh, in the next few years, I really uh, um, would love to see uh, and help develop these young guys that become major league umpires and in turn watch them pour into others, but also getting out and traveling like you do, like you and I've had a chance to do together and, and serving and uh, getting into other countries. And, you know, the, the thing about mission trips that I love is getting out, serving people um, and being able to take in new experiences. But I, I always get so much more out of it than I put into it. Right. You get so blessed by going and helping others, but also then the relationships that you make and, you know, the stories that we tell and, you know, uh, sitting around talking to a guy the other day. And he was like, hey, remember when we were over there and this happened and man, just uh, such cool experiences. I just love getting on the road and traveling. And of course, it's been tough uh, after things shut down a couple of years ago. But um, I just I'm looking forward to answer your question, all these experiences that I'm going to share with others, but also helping pour into others and then uh, getting built up by other people too. Yep. That's what it's all about. Um, I'd love for you to talk yeah. a little bit about that Mexico trip. That was fun. Um, it was during COVID. And so I remember we couldn't fly. So we drove, started in Phoenix and then had this group of guys. Uh, you brought your van, your big conversion van. We had a guy with a camper RV and and we just drove across the border of Mexico. <laughs> I didn't know yeah. if that was such a good idea, but we did it. And, uh, I mean, slept out under the stars and tents, some of us, and um, we were in there in a community just um, doing some work. But what what was that like for you, that experience? Man, that was so much fun. And, you, you know, uh, you mentioned Brian Hommel earlier, and, and, and what a what a giant of a guy he is, because you, know, you mentioned earlier, I have my PhD, and here this guy, um, I've learned so much more from him than, than any professor I've had. And uh, I call him my big brother, even though he's a lot younger than me and he's a lot smaller than me. But, uh, yeah, he's a guy that's just poured into so much, so many of us. But yeah, when he said, come along, I said, I'm in. Uh, and, and then it's funny because driving across there, he got pulled over about five times and, uh, and I just kind of rolled through Scott free and he said, how do you roll through in that big old van and looking like a lumberjack? And, um, but, uh, you know, the cool thing about getting down there, I love the fact that as, as you and I uh, were building houses, helping to build houses for those people, you know, and, and the people that we were that we were serving, they've got some skin in the game, too. I mean, they were right there along with us building and, um, you know, they had to serve in order to qualify for that. But uh, I tell people, you saved my life down there. Because, uh, you know, with my boxing background, I used to, between rounds, my trainer would pour water on my head. I always liked to cool off with water. And um, so, you know, there was water there that we were mixing to make the make the stucco. And I decided I'd dip my head in there to kind of cool off. And I remember the guy saying, what the heck are you doing? You're going you're gonna to get parasites in there. He said, no, nah, no, nah, I'll be fine. I'm a tough guy. Um, and then the next morning, man, my, my, my boiler started rumbling a little bit. And, uh, you know, I had to make a bathroom run. And that was the start of uh, a day. Um, you know, we have pictures from that trip where, you're, you know, you're there uh, putting up walls and other guys are putting on stucco. 
and I'm in a porta potty <laughs> because uh, day two I spent the entire day in there. It was getting ugly. I was getting, I was getting uh, pretty dehydrated and dried out, and I was yeah. like, uh, "All right, Lord, is this the way it's going to end down here in a in a Mexican uh, porta potty?" But um, you know, you with your extensive travel experience into foreign countries. We were able to give me some medication that, uh, man, that was that was like magic mm. that got me cleared up. But if, if it wasn't for you, I may not have made it back. So <laughs> thank you, brother. Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, uh, me being in the water business now, um, I definitely know the challenges of, of bad drinking water. And I always travel with a good antibiotic. So I was happy yeah. to share it with you. And, and um, yeah, glad to see you turn around because that was a cool trip. Um, just the guys yeah. that were there and the work that we got to do. And like you say, working right alongside community members and seeing a tangible difference. You know, once we left, there was a house built or a couple of houses built and, um, and people's lives were changed. And just to be a part of that change is, um, that's why we serve, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the great thing about that is we put in a solid day's work, but if you remember, we gathered around the campfire, uh, that evening and we would sit around and we would, someone would bring a word and a devotional and, I remember the discussions, uh, you know, we had people from all different ages and walks of life. You know, you, we had uh, we had Don there that's in his 70s and he's out working all of us. But then we've got uh, young kids, too, in their 20s and um, just pouring to each other as men and sharing life experiences. And uh, so, you know, doing physical work down there, too, but also getting our souls built up and getting ready to, yeah. to get back uh, back to real life and, and get to work. Yeah, that's cool. Teddy, as our time comes to a close, um, I think I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this, because I think a lot of our listeners probably want to hear you answer this question, too. But what do you think about the new rules and about some of the automated stuff? Do you think there's a place for it um, or do you prefer the the human element like I do? Well, you know, the new rules, um, it's a double edged sword. I really like the, the fact that the games are a little faster. Because they, as you and I, as our careers went on, the games got longer and longer and longer. And it's really hard to sit out there and concentrate for for so much time. You know, I, I was worked the World Series in 2018, and I had a plate job that lasted seven hours and 19 minutes. As, uh, yeah, 18 in a game between the Red Sox and the Dodgers. And, um, you know, I walked off that field, and I think, I think it took some years off my life. Uh, but... One of the great things is playing a nice, quick, clean game in about two hours and 15 minutes, right? I mean, that's that's great, especially a day game. Then you you, you got your evening to sit back. Um, uh, but a nice, quick, clean pace. I loved it like when Mark Burley pitched. <laughs> I was thinking uh, about Burley. Hit the ball and go, yeah. Wade yeah. Miley now, right? I mean, uh -huh. it's like stay on your toes because here comes the pitch. Uh, but I think a nice, clean pace like that. So I do like that. But it puts so much more on the umpires now. Um, and it's just an overloading of you know, they've got to keep track of how many times did he step off? Uh, did the clock hit zero? Um, is the batter alert to the pitcher with eight seconds left? And, um, you know, it's, it just puts a ton, ton more uh, responsibility on the guys who have enough responsibility. So I do empathize with them in, in that. Uh, as far as the automation goes, um, you know, it, they've worked so hard on this to, to get it ready. And it's still not ready. They can't, you can't get the height in real time right now uh, of a batter. So you either have to go to universal strike zone or you take the average height or you measure them. And um, 
The thing is, I still believe, and I know this isn't popular if you look at social media, that if you take into account the mistakes and the errors made by the automatic uh, strike zone, I think our guys stack right up to it mm. with uh, calling balls and strikes. And again, we're not going to be perfect. So much of it has to do with, um, <clears throat> you know, shadows and light and and stances and the way guys receive it. That, uh, but I think that's part of the beauty of the game. And I think, uh, uh, you know, I really liked when I first came up, you know, you would study what's Ted's strike zone, what's Tim McClellan's strike zone, what's Jimmy Joyce's strike zone, and then you throw to that. I always thought that was part of the game. And I understand why they try to make things universal now, uh, but it's taken away, I think, uh, an aspect of the game that that uh, players really liked, umpires liked, fans liked. So, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the automatic strike zone. Um, I do think replay was a good thing because, um, you know, Don Denkinger in 1985 uh, World Series missed a play between the, the Cardinals and the Royals. It's known as the Denkinger play. Jim Joyce, who I mentioned, Armando Galarraga had a perfect game and he missed the play. It's kind of a perfect storm. That's known as the Jim Joyce play. I thank God I got off the field and never had the Ted Barrett play, but because replay took that away. If you think about both those instances, replay would have corrected the call and um, we would have moved on. And so that's, that was always a nice uh, kind of safety net that we had that you weren't going to have a a situation like that, but balls and strikes. Yeah. um, It's not ready for prime time. It's not ready to turn on and and see what happens in in a major league game. So, um, but I do know that, Automation and intelligence, artificial intelligence keeps going forward. So it probably won't be long until they have it perfected. Um, and so I, I wouldn't, I'm hoping they don't use it, but um, if they do, it'll make the umpire's job a lot easier. That's you right. Kind of stand there and get a ball or strike in your piece and call it. And then, hey, don't argue with me. It's uh, that's from the computer. Yeah. That, that was always my excuse. You know, if I screwed up, I just blame the umpire. But now, you guys can just blame the machine. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think people miss the, uh, the Lou Pinella coming out, throwing the base, uh, yeah. kicking dirt, screaming, you're not, you know, you don't have any of that on the bases anymore. Cause you just go to replay. And if you go to the automatic strike zone, there'll be zero arguing throughout a game. Like again, mm-hmm. which will make an umpire's life, uh, a lot, a lot easier, but the fans are going to miss that. I really think yeah. they are. Yeah. Well, Ted, thank you so much for your time, sharing your wisdom. Thank you for the many ways in which you serve. And, uh, bro, I, I hope I get to do another trip to Mexico or somewhere else and serve with you. Yeah, I hope so, too, because, uh, you know, um, it's funny. I think back uh, on career and thinking about the times that you came in and it was like watching you come out of the bullpen. I remember there was one year where it seemed like you threw every night. I'm like, this guy's arm must be made out of rubber because every night they're bringing him out of the bullpen. So, man, you must have had some some serious endurance. <laughs> I'm feeling it now. <laughs> <laughs> You're paying the price for the That's right. through. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we good good thing that we get to continue in ministry. The game can only go so far, but uh, it's a pleasure to serve with you. So, again, thank you, Ted. Well, thank you so much, and and. You know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, you and I have the, the uniforms that we wore, but I think, uh, 
you know, we'll, we'll be in heaven one day and, and the stories we're going to be telling is the, the stories of the mission field and getting out and sharing the gospel and, and serving others. Uh, I think that's the things I'm going to sit back and reflect on my life and, and really uh, treasure and enjoy as much as I enjoyed my time on the field. I think serving others is, uh, is really um, the thing that brings us a lot of satisfaction. Amen. Well said. Thank you for listening to today's edition of Get In The Game podcast, part of the Sports Spectrum podcast network. Check out sportspectrum.com for more content. And while you're there, consider subscribing to our Sports Spectrum magazine. It makes a great gift and is perfect for the sports fan who loves Jesus. You can subscribe today at sportspectrum.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Get In The Game.